Well, I want to thank Zach for passing out the uh, teaching outlines today. Um, good to have such a veteran of such ministry among us now on an ongoing basis. And what we want to talk about today is very much appropriate for where we are as saints and certainly very applicable to what is going on uh, around us in the world. And we're going to look at Psalm 121, and we'll look at verses 1 and 2. Thank you very much. Good job. Thank you. Um, and we're going to be considering three things. I'm just giving you this because it all ties together. In order to understand what God is saying in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, we have to be aware of basically uh, three factors. The first one is what the title of this message is, and it's called the I-N particle. And the particle is a, a figure of etymological study in Hebrew, and so we'll talk about that because it's very important for us to see this. It, 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 it helps us to understand a lot of passages of Scripture that perhaps we um, were not able to understand to the degree that this will allow. The second thing is we're going to look at what our, what our strength is and what it really means because um, that, is, that is going to be our anchor and is our anchor um, in the days to come. It has been our anchor, but we're going to see it in a new way. Then we're going to tie those things together into a view of what's actually happening in what is known as the Gaza Strip. Because what's, what's going on in the Middle East is part and parcel with what our mission is in peace. And when we go throughout the whole world by the directive of the Father, making disciples and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it is all because of what has begun there. And um, so it's important for us to be able to apply this in particle and our understanding of strength and help and how then that affects what we're dealing with internationally because this, this all ties together. And if we have this viewpoint, if we have this understanding, which is a biblical understanding, our processing of what goes on in the world will be markedly more precise. And our confidence will be such that we will be acting as an overcomer. So it's important for you to know that all of this ties together. This is, this is a fresh revelation, and, but it's an appropriate, timely one that the Spirit is bringing to us. So um, with all that said, I'm just saying, stick with this. It's, it all makes sense, every part, but when we put all three of these parts together, it's going to make a whole lot of sense to us, and hopefully when we leave this place, we will be strengthened, the work of the Lord will be strengthened, and our viewpoint in what's going on in the world is certainly going to be enhanced in the power of the Word and in the power of God. So... Psalm 21, verses 1 and 2 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from Yahweh, 
which made heaven and earth. All right. We've talked a lot about, especially at the last seminar, the the eyes, the I-N. Today, Dennis, in Sunday school class, referenced that from the viewpoint of the people of God recognizing, hey, we have a knowledge that's been revealed through a deeper walk with God in the I-N. Are we remembering that? Are we applying that? We've talked about, without going back over the teaching, we've talked about how uh, Israel got into trouble uh, because they did what was right in their own eyes during the days of the judges, and God warned them about that going in. And uh, then Samuel came and began to try to teach and instruct the people as to what their identity was and how they were to partner with the eyes of God, how they were to turn difficult situations, uh, valleys of weeping, into a well of supply, I-N. And we've, we've talked about the power of that. So you can, you can become uh, off-center with the view of the eyes of the Lord, you can be troubled and fearful when that prospect avails itself to you. You can just avoid all of that and do what's right in your own eyes, which leads to destruction. But with, with us talking about how we need to be looking at the tobe and not at the raw, and that's been a predominant theme over these past few months, I'm very grateful that the Lord allowed us to see today this variation of I-N, which is quite peculiar but quite revelatory. And when, when you take the eyes, the eyes or the I-N, and you add in, in language discussion this particle, and it's part of the word. If you look it up in Strong's, you'll see that, and that's just the, the entry level go to, you'll see that in what we've studied, is one place, and this is someplace far away. And they will say in this far away thing, this is from in, but if you look at it deeper, you'll find that the reason it's separated is because of this Hebrew particle. Now, those of you who have studied, uh, have watched movies, some of you have never watched movies, so just tune me out for a minute. But like, if you watch like a Mel Brooks movie, he will borrow some Yiddish phrase every now and then, and he'll say, oi! You know, like when, in the one where they joked about Moses dropping the 15, 10 commandments, and he says, oi! And and they they say that. It, and it's, it's kind of a Yiddish expression that, Things have gone wrong. Uh, what are we going to do? They, we, we thought things were going this way, and now, oh, look, oy vey, oy vey. That's another, see, oy, that is this. That is a, an expression of this I in with the particle. And, and I read that. Any, anybody that studies the Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, they, they might say, well, I never heard that before. Well, I heard that from two immaculate scholars. So just because you don't know it doesn't mean they don't know it. And because they know it, I know it. Now, you know it and I know it. The American people know it. Who said that? Bob Dole. So anyway, so whenever you see this I-N particle in the scripture, it means that somehow 
whoever's speaking is indicating that something has gone a little bit off. Um, something is, you know, should be this way, functioning according to the eyes of the Lord, but it's, you're either not there yet or it's off kelter. It's off target. And some of the places where this is used, you can look this up for yourself. The, the first one is Job 1.7. Here is God up there. And the enemy shows up. The sons of Elohim are there. And God says to Satan, whence comest thou? And he uses this, which says, you know what? You used to be up here moving uh, in, in, the, in the ways, my ways. And now you're off doing whatever you want to do. You're in rebellion uh, how is that working for you? Whence comest thou? And Satan says, oh, you know, I've been going to and fro, you know. That's always a good phrase, to and fro. Jesus said that when an unclean spirit is cast out, he goes to and fro seeking a place of rest, which means that you're off-center. You're not where God wants you to be anymore. You're certainly not moving in the power, but you still have gifts. You have a modicum of of understanding, and you're scouting around looking for some solution, and you're not going to find it till you get back in line with the IN. I think that's very interesting. Whence comest thou? That's another one of those questions. God knew exactly where he had been. God knew exactly what was going on in him, just like he knows everything about you. Where art thou, Adam? God knew exactly where Adam was. But with, with God... He uses this really unique uh, I-N with the particle to say to the enemy, whence comest thou? And it speaks volumes that the enemy was out of sorts with what God's ways were doing and certainly out of sorts with anything that those sons of Elohim, those mighty angels were doing. I think that's very interesting. Job 28 in verses 12 and 20 speaks in the midst of confusing scenarios. He said, whence comes wisdom? And it's, it's interesting to see if you read those passage, those verses, how that's applied. Numbers eleven thirteen. Moses is talking to God. The people are griping about that. We want meat. We want meat. Let's go back to Egypt. You know, and Moses looks to God and he says, whence will I find, there's our word, flesh for all these people? This is not what you want. This is not what your ways are. They're griping at me, and I've got to come up with a solution. This is off from what you want. And then with that in mind, how does God answer? He says, you know what? I'm going to give them so much meat that it's going to be coming out their nose. They do, they're asking for something beyond what I have ordained and miraculously provide, and they're going to pay the price for it. I think that's very interesting. You know, Rahab in Joshua 2.4, she was successfully hiding these two spies that Joshua had sent. And people are coming to try to, hey, have you seen any strangers about? You know, of course, she'd seen all kinds of strangers about because she was at the gate. She, she, was, she was there in, in her line of work. She saw a lot of strangers. But, you know, the weird thing is, is that she answers kind of in a, in a rather unique way. She says, uh, you know, I could be here. She uses this in particle, particle and, and she's not giving them the answer that they want, 
but she's but she knows the truth she knows what god's put it in her heart to do and she has obeyed and she's acted upon it but to their query she offers kind of a you know it's that's true sometimes you don't have to lie but you don't have to people don't have a right to know any more than what you want them to know did you realize that just because somebody asks you something doesn't mean you have to tell them your whole life story. You recognize that. Some people are just an open book. You poke them and you know everything about them from the dawn of time all the way through uh, next week, things they're afraid of. And so Rachel, uh, Rahab recognized, you know, I know what's going on here. My life's on the line. God has put it in my heart to, gu to guard over these men. I'm partnering with a higher calling. You're coming and you're asking me, and it's for me to know and you to find out. And she uses this phrase, which I think is very interesting. And this was obviously gar uh, a really godly woman because she was miraculously preserved, and she then ended up in the line of Christ, which is wonderful. Judges 17.6 it's interesting that um, this is where God said that the days of the judges were a time when the people did was what, what was right in their own eye, and there's I in, but then in 17.9 and 19.17, you have this I in particle describing what the sons of Belial did. The sons of Belial who did that unspeakable, heinous act, and then subsequently brought about a civil war between the, the tribe of Benjamin and the rest of the tribes. And there, the miscreant view of the sons of Belial was indicated by this I.N. particle, and they were totally missing what was right. I often wonder about this. We're seeing it today, aren't we? Um, you have sons of Belial, in this instance, who cut up a woman sent her body parts to various places, and all the tribes that saw that were incensed, and they came to Benjamin and said, hey, this was an abominable thing. Give us these guys who did that. And Benjamin said, they're part of us. You want them? You come and get them. And you think, what would have been the thing God would have said? Yeah, these guys did a heinous act. Here they are. We don't want any of this impurity. And I said we see it today. You know, you have those barbaric actions that were conducted by Hamas on my birthday, October 7th. And now you have people that are defending that. Thousands of people who are defending that. Universities in our country who are defending that. You have media who defends it. And then as soon as they defend it, then the corporate people who they're beholding to for finance say, you better do something about that or we're going to pull out, and they backtrack, but they never make amends for it. You still see that going on today. But that kind of miscreant behavior, at least in judges, when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, when, when they got off, sons of Belial acted. I think that's very interesting. In 2 Kings 5.25, we're almost done with this, but I just need to show you this. When uh, Elisha dealt with Naaman the leper, the Syrian general, and uh, then Gehazi thought, hey, you know, I'm missing a big opportunity to make some dough here. He goes out, 
he comes back totally against what Elisha had wanted and what God had wanted. And Elisha says, whence comest thou? And he uses this phrase, which means, you know what? You just saw God move. You heard what God said, but yet you twisted it for your own benefit. And you went out and spoke in my name and essentially in God's name. Whence comest thou? Very interesting. And then Isaiah. Of course, you can't have a good study unless you bring up our buddy Hezekiah. Isaiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 14. Remember, Hezekiah showed to the foreigners the treasures of the temple, which was really a ridiculous thing to do. It's kind of like showing a thief, hey, look where I've hid all my money. And Isaiah comes and says, whence hast thou done? Which is essentially saying, you know better than this. You represent God. You're the king. You represent God's ways. You represent God's treasures. And what put it in your thought that you should do this ridiculous thing, which has now put us all in jeopardy? So you could look at this study for yourself, but whenever you see this particular variation of in, it means something has either gone awry, you're in a situation where you don't want to make a mistake, you don't want to miss what God is wanting, and that can be a really challenging moment. So with all that being said, we go back to the verse we just read. I will lift up my in unto the mountain. That's hills, but it's the word for mountain. I am, I am looking to God. I am not like John Denver just singing Rocky Mountain High, you know, I feel the sunshine on my face and God's near. It wasn't any of that holistic type of thing. He was looking to the God of all gods. And he says, from whence? I don't want to miss what you're saying. This is an amazing moment. And I, I cannot rely on my own understanding I cannot rely on circumstance. I cannot rely on public opinion. I want to hit the target right on. I want to be in the center of your eyes. So I'm just going to present it right now. As I look before you at the mountain of the Lord, I need your help, and we're going to talk about help next. But I don't want to miss what your perfect view is I want to be in the center of the eyes of Tob. I want to be right in the middle of that. I don't want to do what's right in my own eyes, and I certainly don't want to do something that is askance. Near enough only counts in hand grenades. It does not count with obedience before God. You've got to have right on when you're dealing with the eyes of the Lord, and it's easy to do. It's easy to do. The first way is you just shut out all the other influences. And they can come in pretty packages. They can come from within you. you got to shut those voices out. you got to shut those raw influences out to where you only see the tobe. And then you beseech the Lord for him to direct you and to guide you and sincerely mean it, not just prayer speak, but sincerely mean it where you're committing your lips are moving, is your heart there? And that's what you've got to have in alignment with your asking for God's direction. A lot of people got, ask for God's direction, and what they really mean, 
Show me a way to get what I want. Give me direction to how I can get what I've been asking you for. And I know from experience, my heart can be desperately wicked. And a lot of times in my past, I've wanted things that I thought God would be okay with. But in retrospect, I look back and say, man, I'm glad God didn't give that to me. No matter how many times I bound, rebuke, cast out, laid claim, um, got prayer chained, I'm glad you didn't give me that. And so, you know, we need to make sure that we do away with that too because there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is destruction. We must not lean to our own understanding or the understanding of anybody else. We've got to know what God wants. So when David begins this, he says, hey, Father, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to your high place, the highest of high places. I want your directive. And while I'm wanting help, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to get it halfway there or part of the way there. I want it all the way there. And this, this is excellent. So what is the help that he's wanting? You notice there, emboldened, that this is a double issuance. And double issuances are always, are always a winning hand. When you see a double issuance, you know that there is the magnet of God's power and his purpose, and you better pay attention. And a double issuance is just a word that's repeated twice. Uh, well, I guess it, that's, that's, if it's repeated, it's there twice. A word that's repeated, it's there at least two times. And if you've got a triple issuance, go all in. So, but this word, help, is a power word that I'm so grateful to have been able to uncover. <clears throat> this word help <clears throat> is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And it comes from azar, and it means treasure. It means covenant. And from this word comes the storehouse that's spoken about in Malachi. <clears throat> and to me, it's just me, from a comparison of themes in the New Testament and the Old, to me, this really speaks of that place where our treasures are in heaven. That's the optimal place where what, what goes on there, and you take this back to the storehouse where the meat is, you're sowing your tithe into it. Remember, we did all that study, and we, we compared Old Testament and New Testament. When, when you're talking about this kind of help, it is what God has settled in heaven. It's what God has offered to you as a covenant partnership. It's where the scrolls of the timing of the Lord are held. It's where God has sown in all of the things that he intends to do, not only for creation, but specifically in his partnership with you. And this is where we then sow in our obedience we sow in the seed of our tithe, tithing forward. We sow our ordained giftings, because that's the same word. Remember, we studied about how the tithe 
always went into the storehouse. In the New Testament, in the Greek uh, understanding, uh, the tithe went into the thesaurus. And Jesus spoke about this as being a really existent place in heaven. So all of that to say that when David looks to the mountain and he says, I really want to do what the eyes of the Lord are saying. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to go off on my own. I don't want to do things that are, uh, you know, tacitly okay, but really not in the center of what you want. When you're dealing with the ways of God, 95% is not going to cut it. You've got to be right on, and God wants you there, and he will help you to be there. But the thing that he wants is he wants what God has settled in heaven. The thing that he wants is he wants the covenant partnership with God according to his timetable. That is his help. That's not just his help. That's the double issuance of help. So he is secure in that. Now, let's talk about this word just for a minute because it flies in with everything else we want. One of the best ways, first of all, that you can help yourself to arrive at the ways of God is to remember you are not a free agent. You are not a lone ranger. You don't just have giftings and capacities to just go about and do whatever you want to do. You have to, you should be answering as an intercessor to what has been empowered to you at the right hand of the throne. You answer to the will of God. And what your answer is, is going to be commensurate with what is forever settled in heaven. What God has ordained in his treasures, and the greatest treasure God has, is partnership with you. The greatest treasure you can get from God is to be in exact alignment with his timing and with his ways. That is the greatest treasure any of us will ever have. That is our treasure. So David wants that. Now, how is this word used in the Old Testament? You can study this for yourself. It's really an invigorating thing. The first time it's used is with Eve. God wanted Adam to have a helpmate, a helper. And guess what, kids? It's this word. Eve was not Adam's eye candy. Eve was not the trophy wife. Eve was not at home baking tamales waiting for Adam to get back when he's out running around with the angels. Eve was said to be someone who would also be in alignment with what God had ordained from the foundation of the world. And it's amazing how that, how that works. You know, we, one can put a thousand to flight. The voice of one, uh, in, one crying in the wilderness. Our identity before the Lord doesn't depend on anybody else. We have that privilege to know God alone. Jesus came to die for you. And everybody's going to have to give an account before God for the deeds that are done in this temple. But when you can come into alignment alongside somebody else who is marching according to the same scriptural mandate, then you get that multiplied factor of 10. I think that's interesting. One puts 1,000 to flight, two puts 10,000 to flight. Where two or three are agreeing is touching anything, it shall be done. You know, th this is very important. God looked at Adam and he said, you know what? I like this guy. 
You know, I love him. I created him in my image. We can do a lot of great things together, but it's not just going to be him and me for eternity. I want you. I want you. And so Eve is the first of that. Eve was to be a helper, which is a bad translation. It should be a covenant person. It should be a treasure holder. It should be someone who is aligned with the ways of God. And that's how that word is used. One of my favorite issues of this, and it links up with the eyes, is when Abram is wondering, you know, what, uh, what are you going to do, God? Um, you know, you told me I was going to be the father of nations, and it's just me. And the only one I got here is this Syrian guy named Eliezer. What does his name mean? Elohim Ezer. He is not me, because I'm the father of all who walk in faith. He didn't say that. But I got this guy here who's kind of walking with me in this. He's aligned with what you've called me to be. He's not a covenant partner with you, but he sure is with me. But I know this is not the fulfillment of what you want. The only one I have is him. So what does God do? God says, hey, come out. Come out. Lift up your eyes. It's the same passage. It's right there. And look at the stars. You see creation. I'm going to make your seed as the, as the stars in heaven. They'll be as the sand of the sea. And as you're looking at that, as your eyes are looking at that, can you, can you believe for that? And Abram, the Bible says, believed God, I'm on the right hand. And God said, that is righteousness. That is righteous vision. Look at the word. That's what it means. And you are now my friend. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Eliezer who was then subsequently sent out to find uh, a, a wife for, um, for Isaac. Uh, it's just interesting. You know, there, there are all kinds of people that will walk with you in this, this walk of God. And um, some, like the people in this room, will be in lockstep. You've been called, you've embraced. And others in the Saints Network, we come together, we're speaking the same pneumatikos speech. We're speaking the same, eating the same meat, same pneumatikos drink. That is a treasure. Then you got others who love the Lord, and they're just kind of there. They, they help with what you're called to do. We bless them that they will eventually find what God wants them to do. Eliezer was that kind of guy. Now, the weird one is, which we're not going to talk about much today, and, but it, it really solves a lot of problems that people have in the New Testament. And it's about the man named Lazarus, whose name comes from Azar. And all of that bizarre stuff that went on. Hey, you better get over here. Get over to Bethany. Lazarus is dying. I know how much you love him. Oh, let's just kind of hang around here and wait. Oh, you know what, Lord, aren't we going to go? Well, well, we'll get there. Our Lazarus sleeps. Oh, maybe it's time to go now. Well, you know, the Jews have said, I sound like 
Pa Kettle. Well, the Jews have said, I don't know who Pa Kettle is. Some of you remember Mom Pa Kettle movies. Dennis probably hasn't memorized. But uh, Percy Kilbride, great method actor, he talked that way. Well, you know, the Jews tried to stone you the last time you were there. Sure you want to go there? Well, no, we're, we're, we're going to go now. Uh, we're just going to wait. And then he comes and he sees these people that are weeping, professional mourners. They're weeping and wailing. And Mary and Martha come out. And, you know, Jesus is groaning in his spirit. All of those things which we say, this is really good. And we apply all our pneumatikos pliers to try to explain what all's going on. You know, you just got to wait on the timing of the Lord. Well, here is the key to all of it. Because Lazarus' name comes directly, directly from this Hebrew word. And what Jesus was trying to tell them is, hey, no matter what's going on, you are a citizen of heaven. You are being presented with the Father. That's what I'm here to teach you about. And let me give you a little secret. Whatever goes on at the right hand of the Father, which is where I'm going, and that's the Old Testament word for uh, belief and faith, Abram, Moses, and others all dealt with that. It's all centered in God's covenant for you. It's all centered for his, his inerrant in, in timetable. It's all centered in what the angels are based upon. It's all in that place. And this guy's name just happens to be that word. So Jesus is not in any hurry. It's going to be exactly what the Father wants. And do you know that sometimes God leads you his dear children along, God leads you in a way to train you. The, the end result is never in doubt. It's never in doubt. As we've said a hundred million times, it's all about the journey with God. El Shaddai comes to train you, to teach you, so that you can be better serving him as heirs and joint heirs. That whole thing with Lazarus based upon every other thing Jesus did, could have been as simple as him sending his word, and in that selfsame hour, boom, Lazarus is up, telling jokes to his sisters, being the life of the party, which I think he probably was. But, you know, Jesus categorically waited, and then he answered. And, you know, the disciples are saying all kinds of nonsensical things, including our buddy Thomas. Well, why don't we just all go up there and die? Well, that's a great thing to say. Hey, we're going to go to a funeral. Well, let's all go and die. Who says that? Who says that? And Jesus, no wonder, it's a wonder, the miracle of this, that he wasn't groaning in his spirit long before he got to Lazarus' tomb, having to deal with all that crazy stuff. But the thing that really explains Lazarus more than anything else is the meaning of his name. This is the help of the Lord. This is our eternal covenant. And we have said, haven't we said this over and over again and lived it? The greatest point of confidence and faith we've ever demonstrated in this house has been on behalf of our clinging to what God has commissioned us to do. And when we have faith in that, nothing, nothing will stop us. Nothing can stop him. We've seen that happen over and over again. We saw, you know, I, I, I don't have time to go through all of these things, but we've seen it over and over again. And that is our help. David was a covenant individual. 
He knew what God wanted. Every now and then he got a little oi. You know, he did the Bathsheba thing, but we won't bring that up today. But, you know, the point, though, is that um, he knew his help. Double issuance, back to back, came from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth for a reason. For a reason. And I think that is just an incredible thing. Now, how does all of this... Oh, let's say one other thing about this. Um, we have a unique calling as saints. I believe it's the greatest calling in the Scripture. Um, you, go, you can go a whole lot worse than being called by a name that the angels are always saying. But, you know, the point, though, is, is that we, we devote ourselves to intercession and the Word. The Word. Intercession and the Word, which is good company since that's what Peter, James, and John, whether they're in the sailboat or not, said, we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. You deal with all these other things. And that basically is what the saints are. We pray. We pray in diversities of tongues. We interpret. Uh, that was another interesting thing from the Sunday school class today, that not only did God split the languages, but he also took the ability to understand, which is very interesting since that when we pray in the Spirit, we should also interpret. So God is giving both of those back to us, and that's a wonderful thing. But, you know, the point, though, is, is that not everybody that is moving in the spirit realm today is devoted to intercession, and they may or may not be that interested in the Word. They equate other people's viewpoints, other prophetic statements, whether it's biblical or not, with being almost a papal edict. Well, yeah, this is equal to the Word. Um, we went through a season where we first started to discover that there was a wide swath of Christianity in the prophetic move, pr progressive movement that was going after the Esalen group, the Roar, the Merton group. We talked about that at length at one of our seminars. And with them, they said, hey, Ali Ali in free, the spirit realm is open for all of you, and not only for you Christians, but for Buddhists and, you know, Taoists and, you know, everybody. You know, you just come on. There's really no devil. There is evil, but there's no devil. You can't go wrong. Just come on. And we saw how awful that was, and we recognized how abhorrent that was and how deceptive it is. We also then were made aware of how that there are a lot of demonic doctrines that are being sown by principalities and exousia-level beings we have personal testimonies of people who have encountered this, some who've been swallowed up by it. And they, now there are many Anglican teachers, those from Oxford, Cambridge, even in, uh, from, from France and, and other places throughout our country who are embracing this thing that somehow God, in our God, is a big meanie and that uh, all the things that we read about in the Scripture are kind of his tantrum book and really, demons and devils and principalities are not bad creatures. They just got crossways, crossways from this meanie God. How can you even trust a God who would have all this blood sacrifice and even sacrifice his son? How could you love somebody like that? We're not that way. This is widespread 
It's being taught about. People are being appeared to in all through South America and Mexico, Central America, and probably here in our country. And they're being sold this bilge water by angels of light who are deceiving them. So there's that. Then there's this that I've been discovering in spades over the past week where there are a lot of sincere Christians who just want to function in the spirit realm. And I hear all these teachings. Some of them are based on Scripture. Most of them are based on, oh, this prophet said this, and this prophet said this, and this prophet says this. Don't you know that you were made to walk through walls and to go through all these things? I never hear anything about intercession and the mysteries of the Lord. I'm not criticizing. I'm just safeguarding. And, and I think, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of what we've all gotten up in arms about, rightfully so, about how a lot of progressive communities are letting drag queens and people who, who teach despicable things about sexuality to children in first and second and third grade. And we say, little children, nobody needs to know this stuff the way you're teaching it, but certainly not little children. And, and even though when they come into uh, 11 and 12 years old and they come into that place where physically they could do these things, they, they should not be doing that. And just because you can do something doesn't mean God wants you doing it. Just because you were made to do something doesn't mean that God has ordained for you to function in that way at this time. So you have a lot of free-roaming agents you know, you've got a lot of people that are grasping for the spirit realm. They're not talking about the dangers of the demonic. I, I haven't heard one warning about you better watch out there. You better be doing what God says to do. You better be praying and not just courtrooming the things you want to have happen. You better be submitting yourself before the Lord because there's an enemy out there that the Scripture says will deceive you. And I think, what in the world is missing from this? It's that idea, that eternal idea, that we are covenant partners with God to serve Him alongside the angelic, to do His will exactly the way He is said to be doing it. And many times we're walking in faith. You know, it's like what the enemy tried to get Jesus to do. Hey, you're hungry. How about if you use some of that power to declare into these stones a good loaf of of boudin sourdough bread, that'd be really great. Or if you really want to have it, how about some kosher bread? No, unleavened bread, yeah, that'd be great. Maybe he could open up a spring of wine. You could just have communion there. Jesus didn't do it. I will only do what the Father says to do. And that's our help. My, my point of strength as I stand before you here is not because of myself, it's not because of education. It's not because of any other thing. It's only because God has called us, and we are committed to Him. We do not want to go off on our own. Just because I have power, what is meekness? Meekness is not, you know what it is, it's not weakness. It's controlled, dedicated power to what God is saying. Jesus was meek. Moses was meek. There was meekness upon Joshua. And the key point with power is not flailing it around because you have it. 
It's being the goodly horse in battle. And that's what we must be before God. And that's this help. When you are that way, you can say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And not doubt in your heart, and it will be as you say. But you better make sure that God's saying, this mountain's got to go. You don't just go randomly tossing mountains. If we do that, we're all living in a desert. We're all living in the plains of Kansas. And if, if that's the Rocky Mountains, that John Denver, you know, so the point is, is that we can't, we cannot abandon what this word means. We cannot get our eyes askance from what the I in of the Lord is. We can't have oi moments, and we certainly can't do what's right in our own eyes. We are committed to the treasury of the Lord. We're committed to the storehouse of the Lord. We're covenant people. We are those that were made in His image to serve His will. Yes, there's great power. Yes, there's great possibility. Yes, there is measures of, of supernatural identity. And I was thinking of all the things that God has allowed us to enjoy and experience Every one of them have been in alignment with intercession and being exactly where he wants us to be, doing what he wants us to do. You want to you be in another nation right now? We've been there many times in intercession. We've walked among people. And in fact, we've met people then in those lands. And we say, I saw you. Oh, I, you were wearing this. Was that you? We've seen that. We've done that. Why? Because we can? No. Because he said... This is where I want you in intercession. I don't want to be anywhere that God has not ordained me to be. It's just not that titillating to me. I, you know, the enemy so many times in intercession has tried to draw me into a place I don't belong. He's done that to other people. Now, we're not afraid of the enemy. What's our defense? It is written, I am about my father's business. Even Michael, when he contended with, uh, with Satan over the body of Moses, said, I'm not going to bring a railing accusation. Blasphemia crisis. I am not going to go off-center from what God has directed me to do and represent and engage you in a place that you want me to be in. I'm staying where he wants me to be in. That was Michael. Michael was the war is the warring one. Now, I'm not saying Satan doesn't have power, but if, if, you, if you see them in the ring, I know who I'm laying money on. Michael didn't have to deal with that nonsense. And, but yet he said, I'm staying in the limits and the boundaries of what the Father has commanded me to be and to do. So, all of this study leads up to this, which is really where we are right now in the world. Ezer was also used in a really good Old Testament word called Ebenezer. Here I've laid my Ebenezer. You drive through the country, you see Ebenezer Baptist Church, you know, you see all these names. And, you know, what does that mean? It's only mentioned three times in Scripture. And the first time, we really don't have any indication to what it actually made, what actually made it be known as Ebenezer. But it was the stone of Ezer. And you read 
when Samuel started to minister, after the days of the judges were ending, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Samuel's going to establish his schools. Samuel is going to be the prophet and seer that's going to try to train these people into what God needs them to be so that they're looking through the eyes of the Lord. And the Bible says that Samuel, his words begin to be acknowledged. And then the next verse says, the people gathered themselves to go to war with the Philistines. And they all go down to Ebenezer. Now, that is not to say that Samuel told them to go down there. He did not. I do not, even though it's verse by verse in the same chapter, uh, to me, there probably should have been a buffer there. But the people go down there, and it's from there that they decide, hey, let's bring up the ark. Remember that story? And they go and they fetch the ark. And the Philistines lay a whooping on them, and they steal the ark away. That transpired at Ebenezer. Why? Because the people, again, were doing what was right in their own eyes. They were probably doing the I-N particle, even though the, the results speak from themselves. They were so used to, for generations, doing what was right in their own eyes, they just thought, hey, let's give it a try. So that happened at Ebenezer. And the Philistines take the ark to a city called Ashdod. Now, there were five cities uh, of these Philistines, and guess where they were? They were all in what is known now as the Gaza Strip. So every one of these is right over there. That's the hot spot of the world. So Ashdod is at the top. It's the northernmost city. This is where they take the ark because this word means to ravage, and it's used as a, a word a descriptive of bounty. So it would seem to me that any time these Philistines that were a, um, they were a, they were a seafaring people during the time of, um, of the Romans, they were inextricably linked with Carthage over in the northern coast of, of, uh, of Africa, Hannibal, you know, uh, Hannibal and his, his father, I can't remember his father's name, it's a funny name, it bothers me that I can't remember it, but... Um, but they, they would pillage and they would attack. And they would, this city seems to be a place where they would go before Dagon, which was a, a being that was, if you line it out, it was basically Beelzebub. Um, and they would, they would parade their treasures there. This was kind of like their version of the storehouse, this city. And um, it's interesting, too, then, that in the New Testament, remember the story of Philip? You know, he's in Samaria, and God says, hey, go, go down on the road that leads to Gaza, and there he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, and then once that's over, the Spirit catches him away and drops him at Azotus. Well, that is this city, Ashdod. It's interesting. So this was an important city. It was the northernmost boundary of that Philistine land, and um, the point is, is that Dagon falls over, they prop him back up, Dagon falls over, and then they find his head and the palms of his hands on the threshold, and the Philistine says, we got to get him out of here, and they send him to Gath, and, in, and, the, and the ark then eventually ends up at Ekron, and then it's, uh, it's sent back with emeralds of gold and mice of gold on the cart to Beth Shemesh, you remember that. 
So the ark makes its way all the way through this Gaza Strip. And the people there are, are being beset by tumors. They're being set, beset by an, infil, an infestation of mice that's destroying their crops, just making their lives miserable. And this is going on. Now, Ashkelon, let's just quickly go through these five cities. Ashkelon is a word that meant shekel. This was probably the financial capital. This was like the Wall Street of this place. Then there was Gaza, actually city called that. This is, remember Samson uh, knew a lady of the night there, and he's aroused. I remember Tammy not preaching about that, but he took the gates. Remember when you taught about that? He took the gates of this city of Gaza and took it to Hebron, the place where kings are, are ordained. That's an amazing thing. And Samson then, after he was blinded, which is an interesting thing, uh, consider we're talking about eyes, and he kills all of those people in Gaza by being positioned between the two, two pillars. And Samuel's, Samson's hair grows again. Remember that story? And, he's, and he, killed, he did more damage to the enemy in a city called Gaza than he did throughout the cumulative time of his life as a judge. That's very, very interesting. Gath. Who's heard about Gath? Goliath of Gath. The battle in the valley took place to the east between David and Goliath of Gath. And you remember that one time David was fleeing from Saul and he comes to Gath and he pretends he's a crazy man. He halals as a crazy man. Remember that? That happened in Gath. And then the last one, and that also meant wine press, which probably meant that this was, I don't know, I'm not a tour guide. This is not a discovery's guide to, to Gaza Strip. But it meant, mine, Gath meant wine press, which probably meant that this was a, a place of opulence. It was a place where giants lived, where kings lived. I don't know. I wasn't there. But that was there. And then the last one was Ekron. It was the bottom city, and it meant oil press. So this was basically the five kings of the Philistines. All five of these cities contributed uh, very cooperatively with the golden sacrifices that they put on that cart when they sent the ark away. So the ark comes back, Beth Shemesh, collects it. Remember, this, you, you know this story. It's good reading. Uh, the people there should have known better. They look into the ark. God kills over 50,000 of them, and they wise up. I think after one or two, I would have been wised up. Maybe beforehand, I thought, no, you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to go, oh, but a prophet told me to look in there. No, no, the word says this. Don't do it. You can, but don't. And so the ark comes back, and then Samuel gathers the people back to Ebenezer. Remember that? And he offers a sacrifice, and he dedicates the people to God. And at that point, the Philistines say, you know what? We don't really like these Jews. Nothing new there. Nothing new there. We don't like them. Let's go kill them. And from Ebenezer, the place, the stone of the covenant the stone of the treasures of God, the stone of what God has ordained, His purpose. God sends a mighty, thundering atmosphere. 
And the thunder and the lightning is so great that the Philistines are absolutely beside themselves. And they say, we don't want to touch that. You know, we just got rid of the mice and these emeralds. We just got rid of that. Do you think they would have thought twice before they went up there to fight? But, you know, some people are just idiots. Idiotus, Greek word, New Testament. I can get away with saying that. So, at least I didn't call him the S word. So, you know, you, you, you see that. The thunder and the lightning is there. And the Bible says that all of those Philistines in that Gaza area did not even think of bothering people of God anymore during the time when Samuel was basically the prophet and the seer. Well, what was the difference? <laughs> people, first of all, met to Ebenezer to do it the way they wanted to do it. They met the second time with Samuel, and they committed themselves to God. And God showed himself with power. God showed himself with thunders and lightnings. And God put a heavy dose of divine fear upon those enemy forces. Now, how does this apply to us? I said this all tied together. We are a covenant people. We have committed ourselves to, to the best of our ability, partnering with the eyes of the Lord, that we would see the tobe and not the raw. In this month, this 10th month, we are in fast of feasting. We are, we are doing our best to do away with bitterness and to align ourselves with the way God thinks and the way the angelic are trained or are, are created to think. We want to see God's ways and God's miracles in God's timing. We're a covenant people. We, we answer to the throne of God as intercessors, we rely upon the depths of his word. This is his power. This is his way. There's no other way. This is forever settled. This is the way it is. And if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all of these other things that we could oy about trying to get will be added to us if we seek first the kingdom and his ways. And so it's really interesting to me that David says, I'm going to lift up my eyes. I want to calibrate my eyes with the highest place of all, which is you. My help, double issuance. I'm seeking help. I'm seeking this place. And my help, it will be imparted to me. Double issuance comes from Yahweh, the plan of God, who created all of this. This is where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. This is where I want to be. The people of God got in tr trouble. The enemy got in trouble. Other influences listed in the Scripture got in trouble when they varied from that. I don't want to just say, hey, you know what? I've got spiritual eyes. How can I use them? That's dangerous. You're setting yourself up for a chariot ride with Satan. You really are. That's how the very elect are going to be deceived in these days. You do realize that. Just because you have giftings doesn't mean you can do whatever the Sam Hill you want to do with them. You have to be aligned with intercession. And I don't mean praying to get what you want. I mean intercession before the right hand of God. And I mean 
being in the Word. Because all of these answers. How many years have we been at this? How many years now? It's been like that in God's time frame. Do you still marvel as I do that every week God is bringing new insights from His Word? And they're not contradicting anything that we've seen in the past. There's always something new, and for eternity there will be that. That is our strength. It will never pass away. It is written. Should always should be on the bumper sticker of our car. You know, it is written. That's it. And so I will lift up my eyes to the mountain, to God, over all things, none higher than Him. From whence comes my help? I don't want to miss that place. And no matter how great my eyes have learned to move in your ways, I don't want to miss what you're saying, my covenant responsibility. That is the greatest privilege of all, to be affirming what you have forever settled in heaven from the right hand where Jesus stands and prays alongside us that we would fulfill that will. My help comes from there, from Yahweh, the plan of God. And so we don't want to fail. We want to be right in the center of what God wants. And what I'm believing for, which has been said over and over again already today wonderfully, and what we are aligning ourselves in prayer with yesterday, um, I believe that this is not the moment for the great war of all wars to start. It's just not the moment. The enemy would like for it to be the moment because he knows once that happens, all the other things that God has ordained to do while it is yet day. You notice that in the, in the Lazarus story? Jesus says this, what's wonderful. It's the Lord. But it just seems so out of place when you're just reading it. Now, are we going to go up? Well, you know, we're waiting. Lazarus is sleeping. Oh, he's just resting, but Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in the day where you can walk and not stumble? Because the night comes and you will stumble. Why in the world did he say that? Why did he say that there? It, it, in the natural, it just seems like it's out of place. Certainly one of those monks that was transcribing this fell asleep. Somebody else came and took over. It was a, just a miscarriage, which some people say happens with the Word, and we know that's not true. What was Jesus saying? You've been given an allotted moment of time. You're, you're going to encounter things that are difficult, that you don't understand, but you walk according to the timetable of God. The man that we're going to see is named after that. He's my friend. He's not worried. He's with God right now. He's going to be with you soon. I'm I'm editorializing that. But you're going to be given a time frame. Nothing the enemy tries to do will stop that. So what I'm asking is that in this season, God, God is going to show some supernatural thing that's going to stop all of this hoopla. It's not going to stop it forever, but we need a thundering. We need a thundering, just like Samuel was able to see God do. And that everybody stands down. And that somehow God uses it to begin to stir the hearts of people. 
to stir the hearts of the people of, of Israel and of this nation, to, to, to do something that God has ordained to do in this time frame. What was intended for evil, God turned to the good. We need that right now. There's so much work that's yet to be done before God's timetable says, all right, it's time. Daniel warned that the enemy in these days would try to change the times. This is one of those moments. How many times in Scripture, and we had Sunday school classes about this recently, um, did, did the enemy influence people to screw up the timetable of God? Oh, God said it. Let's go do it. No, God said in my timing, not yours. Hey, God prophesied that the Egyptians will serve us. Well, I'm just going to get in my chariot and go up there. Did I say to go? Why are you heading to Megiddo? Why are you going there? You're a dead man. I don't want to get outside the timing of the Lord, even though I know that the scroll says he's giving us victory. I know that our covenant responsibility is for this. What's our covenant responsibility now? We've got 12 hours while it is light. We're not going to stumble in it. We're going to do the work of the kingdom. For the night comes when no man can work. That day is coming. It's not yet. And we're not going to let the enemy force us into it. So we have this understanding of what God has asked us to do. That's our point of confidence and as Samuel, we come to this stone of Ezer, Eben, stone, Ezer. And we're declaring we have a work to do. This is not the timing that God has ordained. Everybody needs to cool their jets, stand down, and let the kingdom accomplish what it has ordained for this time frame. So... We lift up our eyes to the mountain. We don't want to miss God. Where is our help? Our help comes according to the plan of God who created all this. He's not worried about any of this. Oh, the media wants you worried. I'm sure the Internet's got a lot of people all jacked up over this, weeping and wailing. I'm sure I don't know that this is happening with Jesus, but he did it on earth. I'm sure... You think, if I was down there, I'd be groaning in spirit right now. Thomas says, oh, let's go up and die with him. I'm willing to go. I'm not willing to go. I want to, if I'm going to martyria, I'm going to do it on behalf of the Father, not as a knee-jerk reaction to some other thing. Does that make sense? So it's, it's just so interesting that all of this stuff happened that we just detailed in that place. And God's still able to do what he did during Samuel's day. Now, I don't know what God's got to do about this. It'll flare up again. I don't know when. And that might be the time when the great Savior comes to the earth and Everybody says, let's follow him. He's brought peace and safety. But that's not this time. The enemy would like it to be this time. But who are we? Do we follow the crowd or do we follow the Lord? Well, if God did this then, in this very place, he can do it again. 
We've got a job to do, don't we? What was Samuel's job? To set up those places where people could learn how to communicate with God and to be what he created them to be. Seems to me that that's a mandate God's given to us in no uncertain terms over these past few months. We're in this same boat. The Philistines are showing up saying, hey, you know where we're going to tear it up and we're going to create problems. You're never going to get this done. We need to come before the stone. Our, our rock is Christ. And believe in that covenant identity and that purpose. And believe that God is going to put a quick end to this particular page of heinous activity. Yeah, do we want those egregious people brought to justice? Of course we do. But that doesn't mean that we abandon God's purpose to see that happen. Amen? I know I've dumped a lot on you today, and I've gone really late. But this is, I believe, a, a, a true rhema for us, and I pray that we'll receive it. Father, thank you for your word. I tried to present this rather complicated thing, and I, I know that it's always a danger. I feel a danger when I do this because I know it's, it's, it's hard to understand, but yet it's yours. It's your ways. It's, it's the key to your power. Help us to receive this word and help us to function before you in the vitality of this word. And let us remember, as Abram did, Look up and remember your calling and what you've promised. And we believe that. We believe that. And that's righteousness. Let us walk as righteous people. Use us in our intercession. We speak peace over the Middle East. We speak your purpose and your will to be done. I'm not saying that bullets and rockets aren't still going to fly for the next few days. But, Father, send your thundering from the heavens and cause this thing to stand down and use it for your glory and help us to be faithful during the day that you've given us to fulfill your purpose for the night comes. Let us be faithful. We thank you for it, Father, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me be able to dump this big chunk of meat on you. I know it's, it's, chew it up. Study some of these themes. And I believe that the Lord is going to work this into us and we'll, we'll be more aligned with what he wants. Amen? All right, God bless all of you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we'll see you soon.